If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're jumping ahead in the text a little bit. Um, both to, in a sense, get, help you see where he's going initially, as well as to be able to kind of tie into the missions theme that we're talking about this morning. And this morning we're going to talk about death. Uh, no one really likes to talk about death. I, I googled um, talking about death, and uh, all the the blog posts were pre-COVID. You know what I mean? Like we should talk about death, but nothing after COVID really. Um, and and you say, well, because we're talking about COVID now, we're talking about death during COVID now, but not really. You know what I mean? Like. It seems like one side wants to bring up 700,000 deaths and end the conversation, and the other, other side wants to say, well, only a certain amount of people die, a percentage of people die, and end the conversation. Either way, we still don't talk about death. In fact, it seems like during a pandemic when you should be talking about death, we don't. Uh, and so uh, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, he's going to talk about death. He's going to talk about what it means to die, and not just physically but spiritually, and the importance of understanding that spiritual death that comes to all of us, or that is in all of us in a sense. And my big idea this morning is that there is no hope for anyone outside of God's grace. There is no hope for anyone outside of God's grace. And, um, and, and so we want to look at that this morning, but I want to show you how he gets into Ephesians chapter 2 by looking at the prayer that he prays in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. I'm just going to read it and make a comment, and then we'll get into Ephesians chapter 2. He says, he's been talking, right? We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1 all along over the course of this fall so far. And he says, look at all the blessings you have in Christ he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you are called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the measure, immeasurable greatness of the, his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, it's actually very logical for Paul to pray. After talking about all the blessings we have in Christ, it's very logical in a sense to say, I pray that you would realize this because you, it's something that we need not only to acknowledge mentally, but it's also something that we want to seek to have understand spiritually, understand from our hearts. And that doesn't happen just naturally. It happens supernaturally as the Holy Spirit works in us. And so we pray, we pray for ourselves, we pray for others that God might work in us, that we might know him. But it's also interesting that as soon as he prays that prayer, since he's, the Holy Spirit is moving him to write, he immediately seeks to answer that prayer by going into and, and writing out some things for us so that we might understand, that we might grasp what is the hope to which we're called? That we, our eyes might be enlightened to see the reality of what we have in Christ. 
And so one of the things that, in a sense, the Holy Spirit is answering about his prayer this morning is that he is helping us to understand what is the greatness of his power that is at work in us, raising us from the dead. And, and so he immediately moves into that in, in chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And what I'd like to do before I really kind of launch into my points and kind of get into the why we have no hope, I'd like to just give you kind of a sense, uh, a breakdown, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 3 this morning, but I want you to see kind of how I worked through the passage. Sometimes it just helps to help, helps you understand. I'm hoping that some things you, uh, you can learn from Greek, some things you can just learn from, from reading the passage for yourself and understanding it. And I'm hoping by sharing a little bit of what I worked through, it might help you when you read the Bible as well. So here we are, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You might not be able to read it, but hopefully you've got it in front of you, okay? Just notice what it says here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I, I, I read this and I think, okay, I'm being dead, what does it mean that we're dead in our trespasses and sins? What, how, what does that look like? Does that mean that that we're, we're dead because we've sinned? Like, okay, the, the reason why we're dead is because we're, we're under God's wrath. We're under God's judgment. So we're dead because of what we do wrong. And it kind of implies, well, if we could just get rid of all the wrong things we do, then we could be okay. Or is it, or is it, be, or we're just dead? This is kind of the state that we're in, that we're dead already, in a sense. So which one is it? And what's interesting here is you read through Scripture, when you see things that are repeated, you should notice those things. And so one of the things I just noticed here is, is it talks about the, the fact that you have following here and then following here, right? So sometimes those things that are repeated are explaining each other, and sometimes they're, two, they're different things, okay? So following the course of this world, and then following the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In some ways, those are the same. And in some ways, they're different. And, and so you notice those things. But then you're like, okay, but I've still got this phrase here, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. So I, I kind of did this. There's two words here. We're here, we're here. Those are parallel, and this in the middle is an explanation of what it means to be dead, okay? And so there's my three points. I just got my three points for the sermon. We're good. Let's go into it. But I want to kind of develop it a little bit more, help you understand the passage a little bit more, and help me understand the passage a little bit more as I was working through here. So Because he doesn't end. That's not the end of his thought is, okay, we're, we're children by wrath, end of, end of subject, right? He keeps going. In the, in the passage, so we, we, we broaden it out here. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And has raised us up, up and seated us with the heavenly places, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the age, coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? And so I noticed a few things immediately. One, you have the idea of going from death to life, right? You're dead here, you're made alive here. It also, you have the when we were dead, made alive. So he's definitely emphasizing this transition here between dead and God making us alive. Not only that, but then you have this great love with which he loved us, and then a gift down here, the gift of God. So the love drives the gift, okay? But then you add in two, two repeated phrases. By grace you have been saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And you get the idea, pretty quick, is that we were dead, and what gets us out of death, what makes us alive, is God in his grace. Okay, so God's grace is the emphasis here in make going, helping us go from death to life. And then we have, the, the thing is, we also have some parallels between the explanation for death and, and, so, and life. And so we have here, that following the sons of the power of the air, or the prince of the power of the air, and here we have a raise us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here we have two contrasting ideas of authority. One, we're under the prince of the power of the air. Second, under, we're under in, or in Christ's kingdom. We're seated beside him while he reigns. And then you also have, this is where you need to know Greek, because up here it says following the course of this world, actually in Greek, it's literally the age of this world. It's not a bad translation course, necessarily, but it's literally age. And then you have, so in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so you have these parallel contrasting ideas. We're dead and we're alive. One last idea here, right? Among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, and now instead we are not, not doing our own things, we're prepared for his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, we're just going to look at the first three, the, what it means to be dead this morning. We're going to look at the, the last three at another time. But, but, the, but just to help you to hopefully see the passage and, and how it works. You can, just by noticing things that are parallel, things that are contrasting, things that are repeated, you can kind of understand the flow of thought and dive into a little deeper uh, how the passage is developed. So let's just look at this idea of what does it mean? What does it mean when he says we're dead in our trespasses and sins? And again, there is no hope. Oh, did that too fast. There is no hope for anyone outside of God's grace. This is where is obviously the, the emphasis of the passage. That we, the only way that we're saved, the only way we go from dead to alive is by God's grace. So what does it mean we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And the, the first point I want to make here is that there is a death that no one can escape. There is a death that no one can escape. Again, notice what he says here. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, it is how you lived following the course of this world. So the emphasis is not on, look, you're under God's wrath, as, and you're, that's why you're dead, as much as it is you're walking in this. You're just living a certain way. Following the course or the age of this world. So there is a kind of a time element here. There's, there's this idea that we just live in this time, and the time that we live in is a time of death. That is, if, you know, 
It was kind of the, both a joke and a reality, right? That no one escapes, escapes this planet alive, right? We all die. The death rate for planet Earth is 100%. And that, that's just the age, the time we live in. Now, the, the, in some ways, to bring it up is, is to sound ridiculous, because you're like, what do you mean? Of course everyone dies. Is there any alternative? But Jesus rose again from the grave, so there is an alternative. There is something different than living in a world and living in a time when everything and everyone dies. 1 John 2 reminds us of this. It says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There is a way to escape death, but on our own, there is no escape from death. It is the time in which we live and the values in which we live by. There's another way of kind of thinking about that, and that's why this trans is translated the course of this world in the ESV, is because, in a sense, it's saying this is how the world works, and we just, we make decisions in this world based on this all the time, and we have to. But it is walking in death. Because if we live in a world of death, either nothing matters, like Nothing really matters if, if we're just going to exist until the heat death of the universe, but then the universe is done, then does it even matter that life existed, right? Or we try to stave off destruction by what we choose. We, we live as if that's not true. We live as if what's, what's important to us is important to us, and we make choices based on the values we have. And sometimes we're proud of... <laughs> how we make those choices. Like, for instance, so I was working on my car yesterday, um, one of my cars. I got, I guess got multiple of them. And, uh, and uh, realizing that this car, I was hoping it would last a while longer, but it looks, it looks like it could be dead. I was facing the fact that maybe, I need to call a mechanic, I need to figure it out, but maybe the car is dead, worthless to me, there's nothing I can do, you know. And, and, and the thing is, for all of us, right, when you, when you go and do a, cho a choice, right, like buying a car, some of us are like, you know what, I buy new cars because I can, I can have them for a while and then sell them again before they start breaking down because I don't even want to mess with them breaking down. Others of us are like, hey, I buy old cars because they're already broken in, you know what I mean? I, I get, I, I can, I can, they can last for a while, and I don't care if they fall apart. And, and the point is, is that we're, we're all making both of those decisions based on the fact that the car will break down. Like, you're not going to buy a car and be like, woo, bought my car. It's mine forever. It's, it's going to last forever. I don't need to worry about it. I've got the car. Now I need to move on to something else. No. We buy a car knowing that eventually, 5, 10, 15 years, if you really, really take care of it, you know, and then those guys that like the, like the classic cars, that's like, I'm going to make this 1965 Corvette last forever, you know what I mean? Like by replacing parts, and it costs way more than the original value of the car, right? Why? Because everything breaks down. And we're just excited because we think we have a better strategy for, for getting through all those breakdowns than somebody else. 
But everything breaks down. Our bodies break down. You know? You go longer and longer, and it gets easier and easier to break down. You know? I, I was working out with my, my wife in January this year, and I took too much weight on for one of, my, one of the moves, and, and I've still got an injury that's still there. You know what I mean? And like, you're getting old. That's the point. Yes. I'm breaking down. It's, it's inescapable. We, we live in this time, but again, this is not the way God set up his world. This is not the way God made it originally. Genesis 2 tells us clearly God warned Adam and Eve, right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It assumes, it assumes that if they don't eat of it, they're not going to die. But they ate of it. And we eat of it, in a sense. And we die. There is no escape. Can I just give you an illustration of this, right? You talk about COVID, right? And you say, is it a sickness that kills you? Or does your body, in attempting to get rid of it, kill you? Which one is it? And the point really is, it doesn't matter, you're dead. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. This is a death that no one can escape. You say, well, I can escape COVID. I've got the vaccine, or I'm healthy, I'm good. Okay, so you don't, you don't get COVID, you got cancer, you got Alzheimer's, you got the car you know, backing out of the driveway, you got the plane in the air. You know, like, what's, what's, what death are you going to have? And I, I bring that up not to be morbid, not to be flippant, but to say, again, there is no escape. We live following the course of this world, living in a world where death is a reality. It is an inescapable reality. And for us to live as if this is not true is to walk in death. And even to live as if it is true is, not, is, is just to say, this is where I'm at. Who can help me escape this body of death? But he not only just puts that out there, he also goes on and he gives another reason why we live in, the, in our dead, in our trespasses and sins, and that's the death that rules us. The death that rules us. Notice what he says here. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird phrase, calling the prince of the power of the air. Again, this is kind of a cultural reference in, in, in New Testament times, in, especially in, he, in Greek culture, their idea of the powers is that they lived in the air. So the supernatural powers of the earth lived up. They lived in the air. You know, you had Mount Olympus, but that was up, way up high. It was too high to reach. And it was, they just controlled the air. And so his, his point in, in, in using this as an illustration is just to say all the supernatural powers that exist are under one prince, and, and we live under that prince as well. We call him Satan, the devil, whatever, okay? Here he references him as the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And, and so he's, he's saying, not only do we live in a time period, in a world where death is inescapable, we, but we live under a king, under a prince that is out, not out for our good, but out for our destruction. 
Can I, can, can I help you think about this, the, the kingdom that we are under? Think if you were in another country, and, and you have certain rights as a U.S. citizen. You have a right, uh, uh, you know, to, to not have your property searched unless you have a warrant. You have a right to not be arrested and held without, without you know, a chance to, you know, deal with that quickly. You have certain rights. And let's say you're in another country and you weren't a citizen of this country, you were a citizen of another country, and, and you got arrested and, and you're like, well, I've got rights. And the authorities are like, what rights? Because the rights that you could have had, you don't have because you're not a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of that country. And whatever rights you have are a part of that country, not this one. And so when you're under this authority, what rights do you have? Here he kind of talks about what the right that you have. And it's, in a sense, it's the right to become disobedient. He, he, he ties it up in this phrase, in the sons of disobedience. That is, he's saying this, this kingdom is just, it's, it's almost an anti-kingdom. It's not about anything. It's not about anything positive. It's not trying to build anything positive. Like a kingdom would be like, hey, let's get together and let's build something. Let's make something that's valuable that people want to come to. No, this kingdom is all about being an anti-kingdom. Just, it's just reacting to good and saying, you know what? I don't want that. I want to live outside of God's rule. I want to do what I want to do. I want to, to not believe in God and not want to have what God has. I want to do it myself. It's an anti-kingdom. It's not a real kingdom. The devil doesn't really control you. He's just at work among us. And he's trying to encourage us not necessarily to be as bad as possible. That's not the point. The point is, is this that we live outside of God's rule, outside of God's ways. James 2.10 puts it clearly, right? Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilt, become guilty of all of it. Satan doesn't have to, to get you to be as bad as possible. His whole goal is just for you to live outside of God and his plans. It's like lulling you to sleep in a kettle of water, right? What's better? That you die enraged at the devil, like, hey, devil, I hate you, or die asleep, you know, like, uh... I think everything's fine. I'm just going to die. Satan doesn't care as long as you're dead. There's a kind of an explanation here. Think of the Hobbit. If you know the story of the Hobbit, Tolkien, the, 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 the first part of the story is definitely the study in evil. Like, what's more evil? You've got a dragon, right? The dragon conquered this dwarf kingdom and has its horde. It's, 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 it's evil, it's terrible, it's awful, it's overwhelmingly powerful. There's nothing you can do. That's evil. We, we all recognize evil like that. But in the book, there's another type of evil, and that's the evil that Thorin, Thorin Oakenshield has in himself. He's, he, he, wants, he wants the rule of the dwarfs. He wants the recognition and the the riches that are in the mountain, and he, he wants that regardless of what it costs. And, and there's this evil that's it's not about taking, it's, it's like the dragon type of evil, it's this, this evil that's like, I, I deserve something, I have the right to something, I, I want something for myself regardless of what it costs to someone else. 
and there's that kind of evil. And then there's Bilbo, who's kind of a hero, but he's also kind of an anti-hero because he really can't handle anything. He just stumbles through the, the situations and it finds this magic ring and it helps him get through. But, but he's also like, well, man, there's, there, you know, Thorne wants this, but I don't want to give it to him and I, I don't think that's best. And, and he's, he's, he's more just an evil like, well, I'm just along for the ride. I don't know what to do. And he stumbles through. And you have these three evils. And the, and the point really is, if you think from the dragon's perspective, right? What is the, the dragon doesn't care if you're a Bilbo or you're a Thorin. He doesn't care about that as, as, long as, you're, as long as he can dominate, right? As long as he's like, this is my horde. You're not taking it away from me. He's, he's fine. He doesn't care. He doesn't care who you are because he's still in control. And, and the, the point of this of this goes back to kind of what Isaiah says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. When we're still in the kingdom of death, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're still going to die. The devil doesn't care if you're, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good here. I'm better than most people. In fact, that's what he loves the best, is when you start comparing yourself to other people, thinking, I'm pretty good. And then he's like, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. You think you're good, you think you're okay, when in fact you're headed for death and you don't even care. That, that's, where he, that, that's what he's like. He, he just wants to produce sons of disobedience. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are to him, really. He, you know, he wants to get some stuff done, he wants to hurt people, I get that. But overall, he, as long as he's in control, he doesn't care. And the point of, of, of this is not so much to say about the devil. The point is to say, who can rescue you from this kingdom? Can you get out of this? Can you get out of this on your own? Can, can Thorin, even though he wants what he wants so badly, can he defeat the dragon on his own? No. Can Bilbo defeat the dragon on his own? No. N neither of them can escape and when it, if, if we're honest, we can't escape it either. It's the death that rules us. No matter how hard we try and say, oh, you know, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to do all these good things, and I'm going to you know, try to even love God on my own and do what God wants on my own, Satan's like, go ahead, try. I don't care. Because you're still mine. You're still trapped in death. Because you're all focused on yourself and what you can accomplish on your own. You're still dead. And the last one is the most indicting. It's the death we choose to enjoy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind the death we choose to enjoy. Here what Paul is saying is, he, he, he's been saying you just because he's been talking to them directly and now he again broadens it back out and says, hey, I'm, I'm in this boat with you. We all once lived this way. 
according to the, in a sense, the passions or the out-of-control desires of the flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, the, the idea here is, is you say, well, what's the flesh here? What, what is he talking about? He, is he talking about uh, our material bodies? Is he talking about the, the flesh as in what just we're out to say, I, I don't need God? And, and frankly, he could, it's, it's unclear in this passage which way to go on that. But the point really is, is that we're doing it alone without any reference to God. We're trying to, to live out our desires apart from God. I was, I grew up with this. I, I, I think it was told to me. I've told it to my kids. And as recently as yesterday, I heard it coming out of, from someone else's, some, some other kid's mouth. Some other, some other, that is not my own kid's mouth. It's, it's the phrase, you should know better, you know. I, I've told it to myself. Man, you should have known better than to do that. I've definitely told it to my kids. I have told you not to do that. You should have known not to do that. You know what I mean? And, and yesterday, my, one of my kids' playmates was playing, and our dog got out and was running around, and he's like, Tucker should have known better. And you're like, yes, even a dog should have known better than to do what he just did, you know? But, but we, we live in this world, right, where we think we should know better. And what he is saying here is, you can know all you want about what's good and right. You can even think all the right thoughts in a sense, but we don't operate just on what we know. We operate on what we want. We operate on what we want. And what we want is not necessarily what God wants. Think of Christmas, right? You, you buy stuff for your kids. You think about what, what they might love, what they might enjoy, and you buy it. And then you give it to them at Christmas. And, and they take it. And what you really wanted out of that whole process was for them to say to you, man, Dad, you're a great dad. <laughs> right? I love you. I'm glad that I'm a part of this family. I'm glad that we can be here together enjoying this. Isn't this great? That's, that's why you do that for your kids. But what do they do with it? They take it and they're like, oh, this is awesome. This is cool. And they play with it a little bit. Oh, now it's, sometimes they set aside and they never touch it again. You know what I mean? Sometimes they, they, they take it and they, and they do what they want with it. And you don't care so much about that. What, what you care about is they, they almost never say, dad, you're a great dad. <laughs> but the and you say, well, that's just us. But isn't that God as well? When, when God tells us to be, to be grateful in all circumstances, I can tell you that when I realized that my car could be dead, I wasn't totally grateful in all circumstances. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, this is a bummer. Why? Why does this have to happen? Oh, yes, you're, everything dies, but I don't want my stuff to die right now. You know what I mean? But, but he wants us to... He, he rules all of life, and he does it so that we can know him, so that we can walk with him. But instead, what we do all the way through life is just do what we want to do in reference to ourselves. The, there is never any cons consideration of God. 
this is just an illustration of this. Let's, bread. We understand how we make bread. You take wheat, you grind it up, you add uh, water to the flour, you maybe add some other stuff to the flour, maybe, and then you bake the bread, right? It's a pretty simple process. You can tell I don't make bread very often. <laughs> um, but here's what God does. He, he, he gives us kernels of wheat that are designed for us to know him. Little kernels here like, man, you see a sunset. Or you, or you, or you make a friend. Or you, or you have something in, in your life and you're like, this is really cool, I like this. He gives you some possessions to own. And instead of being like, oh, I want some bread. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy th- this, this God who, who made the bread, and I'm going to enjoy God, and, and I'm, so I'm going to grind up this wheat and get to know God. What we do is we take those kernels of wheat and we hoard them. We're like, oh, I need more kernels of wheat. You know, sunset in Iowa, not as good as the sunset at the Grand Canyon, right? So I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon because I want more kernels of wheat. One friend, oh, good, but I want more. You know what I mean? I need more kernels. And, and we just, we hoard all of these experiences going through life. Why? Because we're like, well, you only live once. You only live once, so you better hoard what you, just take, just get every little drop of meaning out of life for yourself. And instead of enjoying the God who gave us friends and sunsets and possessions, we instead hoard the things God gives us and never, never, never turn to look at God and say, God, you are a great and awesome, righteous, holy, loving, merciful God to me. We never do that. It's the death we enjoy. It's the death we enjoy. We're like, well, this is just natural for me. I I just do what I want. Exactly. You say, well, that's freedom. Well, it's a freedom to death. You can live the way you want. Do what you want. God made you that way. But because you only look at yourself, you only look at what you want ultimately, it leads to death. Our out-of-control desires never believe that they can be satisfied and at peace with God alone. We don't believe. That's, that's his point here when he says the passions of the flesh. Is they're, they're out of control. They don't stand and think, okay, I've got a sunset with God. Man, I can go on, for a, I can go on forever with God because he gives sunsets. <laughs> because he's a great and awesome God. I'm just going to live with God. We think, I need more sunsets. God, you've given me your friendship. God, I don't need your friendship. I need that person's friendship. We're never satisfied. We never think to ourselves, man, God is enough. And that leads to death. So we want the things that bring us death. We live in a world that can't imagine anything otherwise. And we have a prince who's actively encouraging us to die here. We are truly dead. There is no hope from within, from ourselves, from our world, and this is why we need grace. This is why we need grace. That's why he says twice in the next few verses, for by grace you are saved. By grace you are saved. There is is this hope that we have not in ourselves, 
but in a God who loves us, who's willing to step down into time, into history, into our lives, and rescue us from our death. And it says here in the next verses, and made us alive together with Christ. Christ died our death and rose again to give us his life. Dane Ortland put it this way. Christ was not send, sent Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people but to raise dead people. You say, well that's impossible outside of God. Exactly. Exactly. This is God's grace. This is the power that is at work from in you. That Paul has been praying for you to understand, that your eyes would understand, and your spiritual eyes would see it. That you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no hope in the world. No hope in yourself. No hope in Family, job, circumstances, government, it was all headed to death. But God, because of the love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is our hope. And if you'd like the book that this quote comes from, Gentle and Lowly, we have a few copies for free out in the back. You can grab one if you'd like one. But this is why we need the gospel. This is why we need the gospel. Because on our own, we're dead. On my own, I am dead. You can say, well, Pastor, you're a pretty good guy. I can do some good things. I can, I can, I can be a... A decent father. I can not mess up some of the time. Just ask my kids. But on my own, I'm dead. I live in a world that's dying. I live too often for myself. And I live under a prince who wants me dead. So I need God's grace. You need God's grace. And it comes to us freely as a gift through Jesus Christ. There is no hope for anyone outside of God's grace. So have you received the grace of God? And are you telling anyone of the grace of God? We talk about who's your one, right? Just, is there one person in your life where like, God's laid this person on my heart and I want to I at least help them to understand of the grace that I've received? That's why we, we send out missionaries and why we're considering sending out Sushma. Why? Because we want more and more people to know of the grace of God. This is the hope we have. Not that COVID's going to end. Not that the economy gets set right. Not that we, we are going to get the, the world turned around. Our hope is in the gospel, that Christ died to save sinners, and his grace is freely given to all. So have you received God's grace? 
You only have to ask. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. And like any gift, it's, it's, it's free. You just, can you imagine if, you're, if your kids at Christmas were like, hey, Dad, yeah, thanks for this gift. It's awesome. Uh, can I give you five bucks for it? I just, I, you know, just want to you know, pay you back a little bit, you know? He's like, no, it's free. It's a gift. It's yours. Have you received the free gift? Romans 10, 13 says, forever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? And if you have done that, are you praying that others may receive the grace of God? Are you like Paul being, like, God, open people's eyes. Help them to see it. Use me, if possible. And you say, well, it's, it's impossible. You're taking people from dead to life. That's right. <laughs> it's not possible for us to save people. We don't do it. God does it. It's his grace, his work, his action, his love. We just get to be a part of it. And isn't it great to be a part of it? Isn't it great to rest in the love and grace of God? To realize that, realize that even though I was dead, I am alive. I'm alive. I have hope. I have purpose. I have destiny. God, God can work in me and use me and, and change me and, and, and help bless other people through me. and He can even bless me. And it, it all means something. Why? Because I'm alive. And I'm alive eternally. This is not a world of death for me anymore. It's a world of life. My ruler is not the prince of the power of the air. My, my ruler is Jesus. He's my king and he loves me and he gave himself for me. And he gives me the Holy Spirit so that I can live this is who we are in Christ. And this is the power that is at work in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, took him from dead to life, is the same power at work in you. You say, well, I can't change. That's not true. His power is at work in you. I, I don't know what to do. Trust his power. His, his grace is working in you. I don't, I too often, I know the right thing to do. I, sh I know better, but I don't do it. Ask God for grace. Ask God for grace. He gives to everyone who asks. He is a God of grace. So will you be reminded this morning that you were dead? You had no hope without God in this world. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Cling to God's grace. Delight in God's grace. Don't trust yourself. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder that we were dead, not just because we do bad things, but because we live in a world that is dying and dead. It has no hope unless you come in and change things. It has no hope. We could keep this world going and avoid climate change and avoid everything until the heat death of the universe. But without you in this world, there is no hope. And so we look to you as the God of grace, 
the God of hope, the God of comfort, the God of love, who has given us the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. And through him, eternal life, no longer death, no longer control and seeking to just have us be disobedient to the rules, but delight in loving you, delight in loving others because you have loved us. What a great and awesome God you are. Thank you for making us alive. And again, if there's someone here who has not trusted in Christ, who is still dead in their trespasses and sins, whether here or online, I pray that they might be made alive with Christ by trusting in Christ and seeing him make them alive. We pray that in your son's name. Amen.